that means what we're reading here in Micah 4.1 could be just a tiny bit more than seven years away before it happens. Amen. So that would put us in the last days, wouldn't it? Amen. The amillennialist, by the way. Uh, some of you get confused by big words. It's not that hard. Uh, Pre-millennial. We believe in the millennial king kingdom. Have you believed that Jesus is going to rule and reign on the earth literally for a thousand years? Amen. Then you're a pre-millennialist. You believe Jesus is going to come before and set up the millennium. Pre-millennial. That's what that means. And the, the two alternatives really is the post-millennial. This is going to sound crazy to some of you. Post-millennials believe that we are going to conquer the world with the gospel. And the church is going to rule the earth for a thousand years. And then at the end of it, Jesus is going to come back and pat us on the back. Job well done. That's, they wouldn't describe it that way, but that's really what it comes down to. That's called post-millennial. Why? Jesus comes at the end of the millennium. So it's post-millennial. And what? Why do we need him at that point? You don't. That's, a, that's why it's so stupid. And uh, then the third view is what I got up here, the amillennialist. When you put a ah, an A in front of something, what is an agnostic? That means they have no knowledge. <laughs> Gnostic, gnosis means knowledge. An agnostic, and no knowledge. Like atheist. Atheist means no God. Right. No millennial means, they say amillennial, but it would be amillennial. No millennium. So they don't believe any of this is to be taken seriously at all, or they would say, we don't take it literally. I'd say, well, you're not taking it seriously either. But they just don't believe there's going to be a thousand-year reign, and we spiritualize everything. You see, there are actually amillennialists who will look you in the eye right now and tell you that we're in the millennium. They have said, they'll actually say that the millennium represents the church age. And you'll say, well, the Bible says during the millennium, Satan is bound for a thousand years. And they'll say, exactly. You're telling me Satan is bound? Yes. That's what they believe. Hey, listen. All you have to do is stop believing what the Bible says and you go cuckoo. Some of those people are probably true Christians. But after they got saved, they chose to go cuckoo. It could happen to any of you. Anybody. It could happen to me. If all we have to do is stop taking this Bible at face value, stop paying attention to the context, ignore the dispensational framework and so forth, and boom, you're out of here. So the amillennialists refuse to believe that this will actually happen. So keep that in mind. Of course, one other, some of you may have heard of panmillennialist. Yeah. Just going to pan out. But uh, I want to read this, and we're going to see this in a few weeks here in our Sunday studies, but uh, over in Acts 15, beginning of verse, 15, or verse 12, I'm sorry, Acts 15, and verse 12, through verse 18. I want to read verse 12. It says, Then all the multitude kept silence and gave audience to Barnabas and Paul, declaring what miracles and wonders God had wrought among the Gentiles by them. I need to read that so you know who we're talking about. There's Paul and Barnabas there. Then it says, verse 13, And after they had held their peace, James answered, 
saying, Men and brethren, hearken unto me. And so he's speaking. Verse 14, Simeon hath declared how God at the first did visit the Gentiles to take out of them a people for his name. And to this agree the words of the prophets as it is written. He says, uh, After this I will return and will build again. Read that with me, verse 16. After this I will return and will build again the tabernacle of David, which is fallen down, and I will build again the ruins thereof, and I will set it up. Now how can you claim that's not literally going to happen? This is in the book of Acts. The apostles are teaching this. They're teaching premillennialism. They're teaching there's coming a day when... He, Jesus, the, the Messiah, we know to be Jesus by this point in Acts 15, is going to return. What did Jesus say in John 14? I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. That's what he's talking about right there. After this, I will return and will build again the tabernacle of David. Now, David's tabernacle is the temple, which has fallen down, been destroyed, at this point, David, or David, some of you may not understand why it's called. It's Solomon's temple, but the Bible goes back and forth, calls it different names. David basically laid the groundwork, the blueprints, and all the supplies, and then Solomon saw to it that it was built. It says, and I will build again the ruins thereof, and I will set it up. Now, in Acts 15... Think about that. He's quoting this at a time when the temple is there, or still there. The Herodian temple. There's a temple there. So, you know, some of these guys have to be thinking, hmm, what's he saying here? Verse 17, why? Read that. That the residue of men might seek after the Lord and all the Gentiles, upon whom my name is called, saith the Lord, who doeth all these things. Known unto God are all his works from the beginning of the world. So keep that in mind of what the apostles preached about this temple that obviously the one that's standing there is going to be torn down while they're talking about it right there. And then it's going to be rebuilt. And uh, what's he, in verse 17, keep in mind what he says there too about the, even the Gentiles are all going to come to this future temple. So, verse 4 again, that the mountain of the house of the Lord shall be established in the top of the mountains. That's an interesting uh, thing. The emphasis is on the mountain upon the, uh, which the final temple stands. Some of you are familiar with the group that is preparing to rebuild the tribulation temple. What do they call themselves? Temple Mount Faithful. The emphasis is not just on the temple, but the mount. Mm -hmm. Why, it's got to be in that place that you go back to Deuteronomy, uh, chapter 13 and 14, where Moses talks about this place where I'm going to put my name before they ever went into the promised land. Where was that? It's at what's called the temple mount today. You ever, how many of you familiar with the, what they call the wailing wall a lot of times? I understand the Jews don't like you to call it that. They want you to call it the western wall. Um, but uh, they, you, you've seen a lot of our political leaders who support Israel and some of pastors and preachers have gone over there and you put your little prayer in the crack of the wall and, 
and uh, wear the little hat, and then they stand there and they do their little prayers, you know, and all that. <laughs> and they call it the Wailing Wall because there's been a lot of times where there's been a lot of mourning there and wailing, literally. But most of the time, if it's wailing, it's not that kind of wailing. It's more like a... You hear that kind of thing in the background. They're speaking the Hebrew and everything. But that's the wall from the top is where the temple is supposed to be rebuilt. And you ought to check that out. We're spoiled on the Internet. Uh, you can just go out there and see pictures. They've got drone footage and all kinds of neat stuff you can see of that temple mount. So there's coming a third tribulation temple. This will be destroyed when Jesus returns. Jesus will then establish his kingdom temple in Jerusalem. And that's what this is referring to. And look what it says. And it shall be exalted above the hills. So that's another thing about this millennial temple. Uh, Ezekiel describes it. It will not only be bigger than any temple. It will dwarf the previous temples. But Jerusalem now at this point sits at about 2,500 feet above sea level. Um, but there's still places, and if you look toward Jordan, it's higher in the distance. Now, if you look toward the Dead Sea, it goes way down. The Dead Sea is way below this level. And um, it, it's, so it's kind of like high compared to the other cities. That's why we talked about, you'll see in the Bible, it'll say they went up to Jerusalem, even though they're coming from the north or other directions. Why? Because you would go up from whatever direction. Jerusalem sits kind of up. But, like I said, there are higher places even within view. Uh, it will rise above all others during the kingdom. That's what it says here. It shall be exalted above the hills. Mary? Do you mean like it will be above like all the other mountains in the world? That well, if, if put it this way, the earth is a globe. So, I mean, you're not going to be able to look from New York City and see it. But it will be at sea level. If you measure the sea level, it'll be above the other mountains. Now, I'm going to explain why in just a second. Let's go, give me just a second to go on with this. So don't forget this. The earth will be leveled <laughs> during, I should say at the end of, but actually it's during the tribulation it's going to start being leveled. Yes, we're going there. And when Jesus returns to establish his kingdom, the earth gets a total makeover. Let's look at it. Revelation 16. Look at this. And this will explain at least give us an idea of how it is that Jerusalem ends up being the tallest spot on earth. Revelation 16, verses 17 through 20. Now, uh, there are a number of mountains right now that are so tall that you... Uh, is it Everest? Where if you go up, there's only really one uh, path that people take to get to the top of Everest. And as you go up, you'll see uh, something like 200 dead bodies as you're going up and down that mountain. Because the bodies, when they, people would die, usually it was during, you get really bad winds and weather and it's so cold, that's why people die. And it's too dangerous to go get the bodies, so they just leave them there because they, they never fully thaw. And so it's like a museum of death going up and down Everest. Now, Jerusalem won't be like that. <laughs> 
though, so don't worry about that. But look at verse 17 to 20. And the seventh angel poured out his vial into the air, and there came a great voice out of the temple of heaven from the throne, saying, It is done. Verse 18, And there were voices and thunders and lightnings, and there was a great what? Read that with me. Such as was not since men were upon the earth, so mighty an earthquake and so great. Stop there. It says it's going to be the biggest earthquake in human history. Now we've had some big ones. I mean, there's been some that have, when they hit, they leveled whole areas and everything. But this says it'll be an earthquake such as was not since men were upon the earth. It'll be the biggest earthquake in the last 6,000 years. The flood. Look at the, the results in verse 19. And the great city was divided into three parts. Uh, I believe that's referring to um, Jerusalem. And the cities of the nations fell. Gonna, all, you know, all those skyscrapers are going to come down. And uh, great Babylon uh, came in remembrance before God. And I believe that's in a reference to the mystery Babylon, which it would be Rome. Vatican will be destroyed. To give unto her the cup of the wine of the fierceness of his wrath. Now look at verse 20. Read that. And every island fled away. Ha-ha. There you go. So if Jerusalem is this big mountain, God lifts it up, and all the other mountains are leveled. That's why... Jerusalem is going to be the tallest spot on the earth. Yeah, Jim? So if everyone at that point stands on one side of Guam, they could actually flip over. <laughs> yeah. I'm glad I'm not going to be here for that, Jim. True story, Hank Johnson, look it up. In Congress. Worried about Guam flipping over. So back to Micah 4 with that knowledge in hand or in mind. It says, It shall be exalted above the hills. And then what? People shall flow unto it. And that means from all around the world. The center of all human activity will be that Temple Mount. Right now it's the center of a lot of attention. I mean... The amount of attention, if you take all the stories from an entire year and you look at the one place who hits the headlines more than any other, even now. Yeah, Jenny? Today I read that uh, there's a bunch of talk because Israel doesn't want to let these terrorists to the Temple Mount for Ramadan. And they're just, they said, you know, we can't see letting them on the Temple Mount. With our when they have our hostages, and they're talking big deal. That yeah. Out. At the same time, there's this huge growing, and they're getting some steam to, because the reason why Jews don't go up on the Temple Mount is because a group of rabbis were given the authority, and these rabbis have kept Jews from going on the Temple Mount mm -hmm. to pray. And there's a growing effort to allow Jews on the mount to pray. And if they do that, all the Muslims are going to lose their minds. And so that's where the Gog-Magog thing happening would clean up that 
to a great deal. I mean, it would remove the Muslim threat almost completely. And so that's all in the air. We read this when we began our Isaiah studies. Let's go back to Isaiah for a second. Just keep in mind about what we just read. And people shall flow unto it. And then Isaiah 2. Beginning right at the first verse. The word that Isaiah the son of Amos saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem. Now read verse 2 with me. And it shall come to pass in the last days that the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established in the top of the mountains and shall be exalted above the hills and all nations shall flow unto it. Does that sound familiar? <laughs> so Micah and Isaiah had similar vision. Just like we're reading, verse, look at verse uh, 3 then says, we'll see this, so we'll match verse 2 in Micah 4. Read verse 3 with me. And many people shall go and say, Come ye, and let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob. And he will teach us of his ways, and we will walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall go forth the law, and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. And I love how it goes on, of course, verse 4. And he shall judge among the nations and shall rebuke many people. And then, this is the part that the United Nations quotes. And they shall, plow, uh, they shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. They cut off those, the first section of that about him judging the, the nations and rebuking people. And then they quote the rest. O house of Jacob, come ye and let us walk in the light of the Lord. Beautiful. And it matches where we're at. Micah and Isaiah echo one another. <laughs> By the way, just so you have this image in your mind, if you can see that, that's what the borders will look like in Israel during the millennium. If you see the green area, um, it stretches a little, it's a little further south, and it stretches south at the bottom, and it, it's not quite as far up north, and that's kind of what Israel looks like today. But during the millennium, it'll go from the river of Egypt over to the Euphrates. Is that on the left side? Yes, that's one of our charts and maps. Yeah. And uh, now, here's the thing I also got to tell you, though. Because we know what's going to happen, which we read in Revelation, it might look a little different when all is said and done. That it's wherever those rivers are at the time. <laughs> that's when that that'll be the borders. But that's great. And boy, you want to tick off some people. Post that on your social media and tell people that's what Israel's borders really are going to be like. <laughs> but then we come to verse two, which is the administration. It says that the people shall flow unto it. Then what's going to happen? Verse two, and many nations shall come and say, Come, and let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, and to the house of the God of Jacob. At this time, the whole world is going to know who is king. Jesus will be king of kings and lord of lords. It's a totally different dispensation. So, uh, i got to say, this is my point. It is difficult for many Christians to understand this reality. They, they just think the dispensation we're living in now is the way it's always been and always going to be. 
It's, and when, so you try to explain to them that before the coming of Christ and before He sent His Holy Spirit to indwell in the body of Christ, you weren't born again and filled with the Spirit. You weren't sealed with the Holy Spirit under the day of redemption. There are all kinds of things in that previous dispensation that happened now that didn't happen then. And there's a lot of Christians that just can't get that. They just, re they just like, oh, I can't understand how anything could ever be any different than it is right now. It's like, wasn't it different in the garden? Oh, yeah. Well, how's, why, is it, why is it you can accept that, but you can't accept the different dispensations where in the previous, we wouldn't be here. We wouldn't be meeting in church on a Wednesday night. We'd get together in the synagogue on Saturday. We'd go to temple, and you all take an animal and watch the guy slit its throat and collect the blood. Aren't you glad we're not doing that now? I, <laughs> I think lambs are cute little animals. I've eaten them, but I didn't watch them being killed. That's the way to do it. <laughs> but it's really difficult for Christians to understand that it's not going to be like it is now. Jesus is going to be on the earth, as we've said many times. Right now, we walk by faith. During the millennium, we walk by sight. He's right there in front of you. It's a totally different dispensation. So from the close of Acts to the rapture, we live in a unique time. There's never been a time before and won't be a time after that is like this dispensation. We, they didn't go to church on Sunday and have midweek services before, and they won't after. It'll be totally different. So verse 4 again says, and He will teach us of His ways. Imagine Jesus, instead of my pretty face... Jesus standing in front of you and teaching right now. I'd be the first to say, let me sit down <laughs> to have Jesus teaching. Isn't that going to be amazing? I mean, if you believe it, it says, and He will teach us of His ways. Isn't that going to be wonderful? At His first coming, Jesus taught for three and a half years or so. His second coming results in a 1,000-year Bible Institute teaching ministry. <laughs> thousand years. <laughs> that is exciting. And then it says, and we will walk in His paths. And now imagine the best moments in Israel under Mosaic law. It said, when it says, walk in His paths, go back to Deuteronomy, listen to our studies, but just read it on your own. And He says, if you will follow these words... I'll bless your socks off. Amen. I mean, you won't get sick. You'll never have war. You won't have any kind of pestilence. You'll have, you know, your crops will grow to the point where you just don't know what to do with all that you got. I mean, everything will be wonderful. Did they? No. They's gonna. It's gonna happen. Now, granted... It'll be because Jesus is on the earth. He's going to have this huge squad that you and I are going to be a part of. Amen. We will rule and reign with Him. He will rule with a rod of iron. We went through all that in our studies of Revelation. And if someone sins, they're nabbed. And if they commit a capital crime, they die. There ain't going to be much chance for people to not walk in His paths. Yeah, it'll be quicker than gun smoke. <laughs> and this is the most difficult thing for Christians to grasp. 
for the law shall go forth of Zion. The law, I thought Jesus came to do away with the law. He didn't come to do away. He came to fulfill it, and he's going to finally, fully, completely, totally fulfill it during the millennium. Amen. That's exciting. Yeah. And there's going to be unsaved. Yeah, there, well, yeah, and that's another thing that people can't grasp. There are going to be a lot of unsaved people, and then they're going to rebel at the end of it, and Jesus is going to kill a bunch of them. <laughs> That, that's just hard for us to... But it's really going to happen. For 1,000 years, Jesus will demonstrate what could have been all along under the Mosaic system if people had chosen to be obedient to His Word. Now you say, well, God knew that. Yeah, that's beside the point. God gave people the opportunity, and they blew it. During the millennium, he's not going to give them an opportunity. He's going to give them an ultimatum. And they will do it. And then uh, verse 2, in saying, And the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. So Jesus will speak. I think, I don't know how it's going to happen. He may use speaker systems. I don't know. But it may be, wouldn't it be cool if he fulfills something he said in the New Testament? And Jesus stands up in Jerusalem to give a speech. And everybody out here in front of him hears him like you would me. You know, you're hearing me now. But then over in Tokyo and uh, up in Ottawa and down in Argentina and all over the world, the rocks cry out. Uh -huh. Think about that. Wouldn't that be wild if what, he gives a speech and the whole world's going to hear him? How's that going to happen? What if those rocks just become speakers? Yeah, look, look into that. There have already been secular scientists who have looked into the possibility of how certain minerals found in rocks could be used that way. Well, if they can figure it out, I'll guarantee you Jesus knows all about it already. Amen? Johnny? I know I've already, I've already read a fictional book where they included that idea. I think it was um, Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. It starts the Zealand... It's going to destroy the earth, and they describe that same idea. So you wonder if they got it from Jesus saying that about the rocks crying out. Yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 So Jesus will speak, the world will listen. However he does it, that's going to happen. Amen? How many say, come quickly, Lord Jesus? <laughs> we pick up in verse 3, if he leaves us here. We'll see you next time. Father, we thank you, Lord, for this time in your word. We just ask you, Lord, to help us as we love this book. Help us to understand it completely and give us an extra dose of illumination. The revelation is before us. We need your help with the Holy Spirit to illuminate our understanding. Help us to grasp it. Help us to think about it, talk about it, meditate on it, love it, and tell others about it. In Jesus' name, amen. Oh, how He loves you and me. He gave His life. What more could He give? Oh, how He loves you. Oh, how He loves me. Oh, how He loves you and me. Jesus to Calvary did go.
He shed His blood there, brought hope from despair. Oh, how He loves you. Oh, how He loves me. Oh, how He loves you and me. Up from the grave He arose in because he first loved us. Amen. Amen.